0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. We're going to be in John chapter 10 this morning, continuing our series entitled, I Am Jesus in His Own Words. If you're using a, a copy of God's word underneath a chair nearby, we're going to be on page 843 so you can find it easily by using one of those Bibles. John chapter 10 and we're going to start reading in verse number 10. It says this, "The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd." my father. This is God's word for us today. May we be open and receptive as we receive it. The big idea that I believe sits over top of our text this morning is this. If you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to write it down. Followers of Jesus can trust their shepherd's goodness. Followers of Jesus can trust their shepherd's goodness. Jesus here, uh, it helps to understand a little bit of the backstory and the context and who he's speaking to. He's speaking to a Jewish audience, and more specifically, he's speaking to the Pharisees, the Pharisees of chapter 9. When you look at chapter 9, you'll see this group of Pharisees that do this investigative work to try to figure out what this Jesus of Nazareth guy is up to. And Jesus begins a a, a conversation with them towards the end of chapter 9 and continues it into chapter 10. Now, it's nothing new for the Jewish nation for them to see these Pharisees as religious leaders who were less than trustworthy. That wasn't new news to them. This is old news. This is something that was taking place for generations leading up to this point. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 34, you don't need to turn there, but let me read to you this indictment, this strong language from God to these leaders of Israel that we find in Ezekiel 34. It says in verse number 2, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them, so they were scattered because there was no... Shepherd. Needless to say, God is not very happy in part because these shepherds, these leaders here, were called to convey and portray the shepherding heart and character of God. It should have been that any Israelite could look at one of these leaders and if they wanted just a little glimpse as to what God was like. They could look at the prototype of one of these shepherds, one of these leaders, and at least get a little taste, a little glimpse, like, oh, that's what he's like. He's just, he's good, he's kind, he's faithful, he's merciful, he's compassionate, he is good. But unfortunately, these leaders were failing miserably. Now, that's not a problem that has ended, is it? The problem is still alive and well today. Recently, I was speaking with a young lady who, like many of us, probably grew up in church. And I won't share a lot of the details, but over the course of that conversation, she began to open up. Regarding hurts. Manipulation. The misuse and abuse of authority that she experienced in the church. Now, I fully acknowledge with you that for, the, for us to be in church this morning and to have a pastor start talking about church hurt is a little bit uncomfortable. I'm pretty sure I saw a couple of you twitch a second ago. But church hurt is a real thing but it's not a new thing. This has been going on for a long time where you would see those who wear the name of God, wear the name of Jesus, who then go on to lead in such a way that is irreflective of the heart of God. My friends, if that's you, and as I look across the room, I see faces, and your faces represent stories that I have heard personally. Stories that are similar to this young lady, stories that would maybe be much, much worse. And for those of you that are sitting here going, wait, church hurt? What? What is that? Praise the Lord for his grace that you've not experienced things like that. But there are some in here who experienced real hurt. But what struck me the most as I was talking to this young lady was towards the end of our conversation, she said these words. She says, they did it all in the name of Jesus. And then she proceeded to say, this was the conclusion that she had come to in that moment. I want to believe God is good but it's all just so confusing. Because the ones who proclaim with their lips, God is good, are the very ones who have failed miserably at demonstrating that goodness in their leadership. This was the indictment against these leaders. But God is not indifferent to his people here in John John chapter 10. He's not indifferent if that's you, if that's your story, if that's your pain. He's not indifferent to your situation. In fact, Ezekiel 34 goes on. He makes this indictment using really strong language against these leaders. But there's more to the story. You see, as you continue reading, what you see is that God makes a promise to his people. And what he says is he says, "'I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep.'" I myself will make them lay down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. I will, I will, I will. You're not, I will. There's this promise that he makes here. And what John chapter 10 is, is the moment that we see the I will of Ezekiel chapter 34 Turn into the I am. Jesus is the good shepherd that God promised in Ezekiel chapter 34. And what Jesus will do in his discourse with these Pharisees in John chapter 10 is he's setting the record straight, he's making sure that there's no confusion that the leadership that they've experienced with the Pharisees is quite contrary to the heart and character and nature of our God. You see, where human relationships cloud our vision of God's goodness, Jesus, Jesus brings perfect clarity. And so when we look to Jesus, what we see is that we can trust our shepherd's goodness. So then the question that we'll answer this morning is this. Why? Why is Jesus' goodness, why is his leadership trustworthy? What makes him so different than all of the others who claimed to be good but could only bring about wounding and hurt in my life? So this morning I'd like to offer four reasons that you and I can trust our shepherd's goodness Number one, if you're taking notes, I can trust my shepherd's goodness because his goodness is selfless. His goodness is selfless. Look in verse number 10, would you? It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Jesus says, came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Now, if you grew up in the church like I did, you've probably heard John 10 verse 10 interpreted as the thief is Satan and he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. And while I don't think that this verse would be a mischaracterization of the devil, that is not who Jesus is referring to here. Jesus has made it very clear in verses 1 through 9 that the thieves are the Pharisees. They're these so-called shepherds. But instead of shepherding, they're stealing. And this thievery that we see in the, with the Pharisees, the selfishness that we see in the Pharisees stands in direct contrast to the selflessness we see in Jesus. See, with the Pharisees, they were, they were spiritual thieves. They were spiritual thieves because they were steering people away from God. And during Jesus' earthly ministry, they began to steer people away from the Messiah. Ultimately bringing about spiritual destruction in their lives. But they were also like literal physical thieves. In Luke chapter 20, you read this account of a widow who gives her last two mites. But what we often miss is right before this story, Jesus uses some strong words against the Pharisees. He says, You devour widows' houses. In other words, you suck them dry of everything that they have to take care of themselves while simultaneously neglecting generosity and love and support towards them. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Do you see the selfishness here? This was all about them. It was all about their agenda. It was all about padding their pockets. But Jesus it's a different kind of shepherd. We see in verse 10 two totally different leaders going two totally different directions, bringing about two totally different end results. When I was growing up, I really enjoyed going to the eye doctor's office because in the eye doctor's office, they had Highlights for Kids magazines. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about? Man, I loved Highlights for Kids. If I'm being honest, I still love highlights for kids, they're fun, but one of my favorite activities in this magazine was what was called, Can You Spot the Differences? On one side of the magazine is, uh, on both sides of the magazine, there's these pictures that are virtually identical, with the exception of very minor details, and your objective is to spot the differences. I figured we could, ha- we could uh, do this this morning in church. So I'm going to put, in just a second, two images up on the screen, and I want to see if you guys can spot the differences. You ready? All right, here we go. Some of you are like, I think somebody messed up. No, I did that intentionally because that's what Jesus is doing. He's pointing out that these Pharisees and himself are not mostly similar where you'd have to strain at finding the differences, but they are actually the exact opposite. They are very different. You would have to strain to find any similarities. We can stop looking at the cow now. <laughs> They're very different. They're polar opposites. We, we could spend all day counting up all of the differences between the Pharisees and Jesus. Jesus is distinguishing himself from the other rabbis, the other religious leaders, these wannabe shepherds, because he himself is a different kind of shepherd. See, while the thief takes what does not belong to him to do what he has no right to do, the good shepherd comes to what does belong to him to offer what he has no obligation to give. Jesus did not come because we have something to offer him that he wants to take. He came because he has something to offer us that we desperately need to receive. And that's life. He says, I came to give life. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he's made us alive together with Christ. But not just life. Jesus says to give them life and life abundant. Now, this idea of abundant life can get really convoluted. So let me clear, clear some things up for us. The abundant life is not a life devoid of trouble. It's not a pain-free life, a worry-free life, or a stress-free life. The abundant life is not a life teeming with more stuff. It's not a life with more money, uh, more relationships, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a wife, a husband, a life with a nicer car, the dream job, the nice house. That's not the abundant life that Jesus offers. The abundant life is this, and if you only catch one thing this morning, my friends, can you please just catch this and don't forget it. The abundant life is this, life in the presence of the good shepherd. It's a relationship with him. That's why in Psalm 23, David writes these beautiful words that most of us have committed to memory. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, the only reason that a sheep would be lying down in a green pasture is because he's full. Think about it. You're a sheep in a green field which means you've got like all of the food that you could possibly imagine. Most sheep would be grazing, eating as much as they can until they're satisfied. What the psalmist is pointing out here is that the shepherd is so satisfying that when these sheep hit the pasture, they need nothing more. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, We have all things and abound, not because I have a good store of money in the bank, not because I have skill and wit with which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. You see, this is the reality of all those who know Jesus. Our hunger for more is lost in his all-satisfying presence because our shepherd is so good that his presence satisfies what the pastures never could. Jesus didn't come to be ministered unto. He came to minister. He didn't come to receive or to take. He came to offer abundant life. Do you see it yet? There's a difference. He's a different kind of shepherd. You and I can trust our shepherd's goodness because he's selfless. Secondly, we can trust our shepherd's goodness because his goodness is limitless. Look in verse number 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus here switches imagery. He goes from calling the Pharisees thieves to calling them hired hands. In doing so, he is greatly offending the position that these Pharisees hold. Because in calling them hired hands, he is reminding them that they themselves are not the shepherd. These sheep, these people that they're leading, do not belong to them. There is somebody who is a higher authority above these shepherds, these hired hands. But he's also pointing out very clearly that they're cowards. See, these hired hands fulfill their roles until it costs them something. Their job is literally to be there to Defend these sheep from the predators. And what do they do? They run. But Jesus is a different kind of shepherd. Where the Pharisees are limited in their care, Jesus is limitless. When my daughters were younger, we did this thing where... um, I would come up to them and I would say, I love you this much. And then slowly but surely begin to expand my fingers and then expand my arms as far as we can reach just to give them a physical representation of just how much I really love them. And eventually they caught on to that. And so they'd come up to me and be like, Daddy, I love you this much. And then it'd be like this. And then it always ends in a big hug. My friends, how much does Jesus love you? Do you ever feel like maybe, just maybe, there's a limit to his care for you? If I'm being fully transparent this morning, I've had conversations with God at times that sound a little bit of something like this. God, do you, do you love me enough to change my job situation? And the Spirit whispers to me, more. God, do you love me enough to fix my marriage? And the Spirit whispers to me, more. God, do you love me enough to heal my disease? And the Spirit whispers, more. God, do you love me enough to answer my prayer? And the Spirit whispers, more. And then I'm reminded, First John three sixteen. by this we perceive the love of God that he laid down his life for us. You see, the ultimate expression of God's goodness is not going to be found in him changing your job situation, fixing your marriage, or healing your disease. The ultimate expression of God's goodness is the cross. He loves you this much. But that begs the question, If God loves me this much, then how come he can't answer my prayer? Have you been there? I'm going to be honest with you. In the seasons of my life, when I've asked that question, it feels like a thousand pound weight just sitting on my chest. Like, God, I'm trying to believe that you're good, but why won't you just answer this prayer? why won't you just do what I'm asking you to do? This isn't a bad thing I'm asking for. This is a good thing. God, come on. I know you love me. Can we just take a minute for those brothers and sisters in this room that are feeling that this morning? Stuck in the tension between your belief that God is good and the reality of a life that doesn't appear to be? And you're sitting right there in the middle of that tension going, I don't get it. I can't pretend this morning to have an answer for you in your situation. But this text does teach us two beautiful, hope-filled truths that I hope will provide some encouragement. One is this. Jesus is the good shepherd. Which means everything that he does and does not do is good. And when we can't seem to find rest in our situation we find rest in his character. When life doesn't seem to be good, we just remind ourselves that God is and he will never stop being. But secondly, my friends, the shepherd who died for you isn't going to walk away from you now. Jesus didn't get on that cross and pay the ultimate price for your sins, providing the ultimate demonstration of his goodness only to rise from the dead and then just forget about you and leave you on your own. Even now, he's walking with you. And his presence in your life, I promise you, friend, will outlast the presence of your trial. I think of Psalm 23 again, when David wrote, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Because our good shepherd doesn't run and flee. He stands by our side with care and love and goodness unlimited. I can trust my shepherd's goodness because it's selfless, it's limitless, but thirdly, his goodness is matchless. Verse 14, would you look at it? I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. As I was preparing this message, I did a little bit of research into the life of shepherds and most of it was boring. But one thing that was really fascinating to me was... I saw this BBC documentary from like, it had to have been decades ago, where BBC did a test. They found this shepherd who had a couple, of hundred, couple hundred sheep in his flock, and this shepherd claimed to know his sheep. And so BBC brought three sheep from a different fold. Same type of sheep, they looked identical. When I saw the video, I was like, these things, they look exactly the same. And they let those sheep go into the flock to begin to mix in. And then they bring the shepherd out. And they say, okay, there are three sheep that are not yours. Can you spot them? And I kid you not, within like 15 seconds, he spots all three of those sheep. This is what Jesus means when he says, I know my sheep. His sheep are not merely those who claim to be his sheep, but they are those who by faith, whether in the Old Testament or now for those of us in the New Testament, who by faith follow him. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus by faith, there are two beautiful realities for us to consider In these verses, the first is this, we are known. We are known. The word know here is not some like academic learned knowledge. It's not like I know about you. I've learned things about you. This word know actually would have been used in the original language to describe the intimate union between a husband and a wife. It's the deepest, most intimate type of knowledge. But Jesus takes it a step further. And he says, just as I know the Father and the Father knows me. See, Jesus is not merely saying that our union with him is similar to. No, he is saying our union with him is identical to his union with the Father. In other words, we are as tight and as bound and as received and welcomed and cared for and in relationship with jesus as he is with the father and if you want to know how tight that was just look at verse 35 of john 10 when jesus says i and the father are one they are inseparable nothing could separate the father from the son which means this that nothing can separate you from your shepherd The second reality is this, we are loved. Jesus once again says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now the reason that I say that our shepherd's goodness is matchless is because to be fully known and fully loved is an alien concept in our society. It actually seems that the closer, the more knowledgeable we become of some person, this is certainly true in marriage. It seems that that is where tensions begin to arise in the marriage. You marry somebody, and then you begin to find things out that you didn't know before. And all of a sudden, there's this threat to your love for the person because of knowledge. You initially like a friend, and as you start getting to know each other, I mean, we're just being honest, right? As we get to know each other, you, like, get in the car after spending time with them, and you're like, never again. <laughs> because what seems, what's natural, what comes natural many times to us as humans, in our human sinful condition, is as we begin to see the brokenness and the, the frailty and the failures of those around us, we become more and more stingy with our love towards them. We begin to create distance and separation. Now, while that type of love might be alien, while that type of goodness might be alien in our society, my prayer is that for us as the City Point Church family that this would not be an alien concept within the church. I mean, let's be honest. Probably 50 or 50% or more of us this morning came in with our guards up. Don't look people in the eye. Don't let them see the real us. Put on the fake smile. Don't let them see how broken we actually are. Don't let them see just how rough this past week really was. Don't let them know about the addiction. Don't let them know about the past. Don't let them know about our brokenness and just how much we're struggling. Why? Because we are afraid that the more they know, the less we'll be loved. And so we make these excuses, if they knew, if they knew, if they knew these things about me, if they knew, my friends, if we knew, then you would finally come to this beautiful reality that you are loved. We hide our brokenness because we fear that it will be the very thing that comes between a relationship rather than the thing that brings a relationship together But do you see it? Do you see it in John chapter 10? It's subtle, but the people who missed out on a relationship with the Messiah are the people who pretended to have it all together, the Pharisees. They're the ones who put on the facade, this holier-than-thou facade, like we've got it all together, we've mastered the law. They may have mastered the law, but they missed their Messiah. My friends, we do not need to hide our brokenness because it is our brokenness and our human condition that as we become more and more aware of it, it only intensifies our experience of God's love for us. His love is matchless. His love is selfless. His love is limitless. But notice with me lastly, his goodness is endless. His goodness is endless. For this reason, the Father loves me, verse 17, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Now, this is loaded with with rich theology, which we won't have time to dive into. But what Jesus is saying here is God delights in the Son doing what he sent the Son to earth to do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, Jesus, Come to this earth to die to pay the penalty for our sin. God the Father, seeing the Son do that, fills the Father's heart with love for his Son. Verse 18, Jesus says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father Once again, we see Jesus here foretelling of his death. This is the third time in this passage Jesus has done this. Talked about how he's going to lay down his life for the sheep, but this time it's different. And it's different because he emphasizes a couple of things. One, he emphasizes that his death will be voluntary, he is choosing to die for his sheep. Nobody's forcing Jesus into this. Nobody's forcing Jesus to pay the price for our sins. He is choosing to do it out of his heart of love for you and for me. It's voluntary, but second, it's temporary. It's temporary. See, what happens to the flock when the shepherd dies? think about that question for a second Jesus is the shepherd and he dies but what happens to the flock when he dies well welcome to the nightmare the three day long nightmare that the disciples must have experienced between Jesus' death and resurrection they scattered they hid they were scared where's our shepherd where is he I want you to think for a second, what are the, what are like the three top good things in your life right now? Might be a relationship, a job, a car, or whatever. It doesn't have to be anything like, you know, like spiritual, like just like literally think what are the three things right now that are like good in your life? What would those be? Whatever they are, I can guarantee you that those three things all have something in common that they are all good things which will come to an end. They are all good things that have an expiration date. But see, what you and I find in verses 17 and 18 is hope. Hope because our shepherd doesn't stay dead. And while we may have cause to believe that all good things must come to an end, we see here that there is one good thing which will never end, and his name is Jesus. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion, is that our shepherd didn't stay. Dead. Romans 6 9 says this We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. You see, our good shepherd is an eternal shepherd. These I am statements we've been studying, guess what? We will never have to demote them to the past tense. The I am the good shepherd will never have to be the he was the good shepherd. He is and he forever will be because he is a resurrected, eternal shepherd who cares for you and me. And his goodness is as eternal as he is. That's why when he rose from the dead, one of the very first things that he did is he hunted down Peter. Peter's fishing. And Jesus comes and stands on the shore, calls out to him. And then he sits down and has this little conversation with Peter hey, Peter, do you love my sheep? Or do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. And then Jesus' response is, feed my sheep. The thing that Jesus was focused on after he rose from the dead was his sheep. And that's because his goodness and his care for his sheep is as eternal as he is. And because of this truth, we can echo with confidence the words of David in Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why can we say this? Why can we sing this? Why can we believe these words from Psalm 23? Because goodness is more than just a mere philosophical idea. It's more than an arbitrary adjective to describe our pizza or our lunch this afternoon. Goodness is a person. Goodness is Jesus. And we can trust him. My friends, our lives will forever be filled with people who, like the Pharisees, fail miserably at reflecting the heart and the character and the goodness of God. Let's be honest, you and I are those people. You and I are the ones who, multiple times today, will fail at reflecting, perfectly resembling the heart and character of God. but I hope that you see this morning that Jesus is different. We will never have to be skeptical of the goodness of Jesus. We don't have to wonder if he cares. And in those moments of doubts and question and fear, we can look to Jesus and be reminded of this very important truth, that we can trust our shepherd's goodness. I don't know what relationship you've experienced or what trial you've experienced that's begin that's begun to muddy your vision of God's goodness and cause you cause you to question whether or not he actually is the good shepherd that he claims to be. But my friends, I hope that this morning you can see that our good shepherd is a trustworthy shepherd. I'd like to give you three questions to consider as we learn to live and apply this passage. Number 1 is this, do you know the shepherd? Do you know the shepherd? Not do you know about him, not do you go to church, not are you a religious person who does good things. No, like, do you have that intimate relationship with Jesus? In that relationship we find, and only in that relationship we find, abundant life freely offered to us when we accept that gift by faith. Second question is this, follower of Jesus, where do you need to allow the shepherd to shepherd you? I want you to think of that question in two different ways. Number one, are there areas of your life where you've begun to shepherd yourself? You've just made yourself your own shepherd. You call the shots in your life. You don't have some higher authority. No, it's you. What you feel is good, what you believe is best. Can I encourage you this morning? Allow the shepherd to be your shepherd. The second way of looking at this is that for those of you who are going through some things right now, or maybe have gone things, gone through things in the past that you've just chosen to mask, those church hurts, those relational wounds, that bitterness and resentment that you're feeling towards somebody, that trial in your marriage, well, I don't know what it is you have a good shepherd that wants to walk with you through that? Would you let the shepherd shepherd you? The third question is this, who can you introduce to the good shepherd? God's not done bringing people into his fold. And he's called us to be on mission. To go out and tell others about this shepherd who laid down his life for them. live on mission this week and as we do I want to read Hebrews 13 verses 20 through 21 over us as we conclude this time in our service now may the peace of God the God of peace who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for these realities, these truths, that there is no limit to your goodness. You are not selfish in your motives. an incomparable matchless care and love and goodness that you extend to us so freely. And we praise you for the fact this morning for this truth that that goodness will never end. God, I lift up those in this room this morning who are needing desperately the shepherding care of the good shepherd. I don't know if they're scared to turn to you God I don't know if maybe they don't even know what that means to let the shepherd shepherd them spirit would you just speak to them and point them to how they can allow you in and allow you the rightful place of authority in their life as their shepherd we love you but most of all, we praise you for loving us. And we pray this in the name of our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at City Point AZ. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.